There's Lemieux. The center penalty coming up. Look at Lemieux. Oh, my heavens. What a goal. What a move. Lemieux. Oh, baby. There's a mistake and a throw. A puck by Bridget. Oh! A taser from Jonathan Taves is first. Sure, Gord. It's talking hockey, the hockey talking show. I am Coz Tom. I have got with me, as per the huge, he's streaking down the right side of the rink and he's hollering for me to chip that puck in and get off for a quick change. It's co host Randy. How are you today, my friend? Doing great. Um, seems like a beautiful day out here in Winnipeg today. I haven't really been outside yet. <laughs> Through this window, it looks amazing. But yeah, there's some nice apparently sunshine. There's, uh, apparently, there's some snow coming, and you know, yeah, like a uh, classic Manitoba winter. When you think it's gone, it'll come and <laughs> smack you in the face like a uh, Brady Kachuk elbow. 18 degrees one day, and then the next day you're on the IR with a concussion. I mean, uh, yeah, it's uh, minus two or whatever. So not to be, uh, yeah, not to be messed with the weather. Uh, so this is uh, season three, episode 18, and um, before we really get into the 18s, because we like to name our episodes after the 18s, just to let you know, on this week's program, we've got Russ Rankin from the punk band Good Riddance as our very special guest, so make sure you stay tuned for that. That interview will be coming up very shortly. Um Russ is uh, also a WHL scout, for those of you who didn't know. But uh, I'd like to just name this episode, Season 3, Episode 18, I'd like to name it The Bridgeman, uh, after everyone's favorite New Jersey Devil captain from 1983 through 87, Mel Bridgman. Um, He is a guy who you might say, who is that? Um, Sorry, he was the captain 84 to 87. Don't want to overstep my boundaries or bounds there or whatever the saying is. But Mel Bridgman, he was a guy, man, who was the number one overall pick of the Philadelphia Flyers in the uh, 1975 draft. Like, he, he captained the Flyers as well from 79 to 81. I guess Bobby Clark might have retired at that point and, and, and Bridgman took over the captaincy. Um, and Bridgman was also the Ottawa senators very first ever general manager when they rejoined the NHL in 1992. Uh, but for me, Bridgman is the most famous for a particular hockey card uh that shows him he was a well-mustachioed man and and this hockey card he's got like no teeth going on he's got the big bushy mustache and he's got a very photoshopped and by photoshopped i mean airbrushed yeah uh very airbrushed helmet 
and, and Jersey and Jersey though. And Jersey. Yeah. yeah. So that must've been when he got traded from Philly to New Jersey, sorry, yeah. from Calgary to New Jersey. He had a little <clears throat> pit stop in Cowtown before he ended up playing for the devils. Um, so perhaps that card, that must've been because the card says the devils on it. Yeah. So it must've been that it was, uh, his trade from Calgary. Yeah, that is a very Photoshop or air airbrushed uh, jersey, isn't it? When That's- it come when it comes to hockey mustaches, like if Lanny McDonald is the mustache, yeah. then this one would be like the slightly younger brother of Lanny McDonald. <laughs> or like like Doctor Evil's number two. You yeah, know? it's like, like it's this. it's close. It's not as good, but it's 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 close. You know. Yeah. On any given Sunday, this mustache could win. You know. And and that mustache, I mean, he would have demanded so much respect on the ice cruising around with that thing. Like, unbelievable. The other thing that Mel Bridgman is kind of famous for is his helmets. He had, he, he wore, from what I can tell, three different helmets in his NHL career. Uh, one being sort of that classic CCM helmet that everybody mm-hmm. wore in the like 90s, 80s, whatever it was. But the other, the other two helmets, he wore a Jofa, that weird sort yeah. of like Hawk and Lube, Hawk and Lube. Jofa. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, I don't know what model that is, but what a, what a beast of a helmet that is. Matt like Nasland, a, I think, also wore that helmet. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then he also wore what looks like it was like a Cooper, maybe, but the uh, dome, like, the dome one. Yeah, it's. I, I don't know what. Do I you think remember Mike Felino? It kind of looks yep, like Mike yeah. Felino's helmet. Yeah pretty similar to Felino's helmet so like a like a bowling ball <laughs> exactly it's <laughs> it's this weird yeah dome shaped like bowling ball looking helmet and then like w- little panels on the side so look lots of 18s let me just give you some honorable mentions real quick you got Denny and Serge Savard are they twins no are they related hard to say but you they got were the your, same number yeah, they got the same number. That's all that matters. Uh, you got your Craig Simpson, a.k.a. Simmer. That guy, he could score some goals. Now he's doing color for Hockey Night in Canada. What a beauty. You got your Mike Richards, Kenora's very own. Uh, do you have a quick Mike Richards story? We got time for that? Very quick, very quick. Very story. quick. So I'm going very to the quick. Jets game, Jets versus Edmonton Oilers, I believe, at the time when Lucic was playing for Edmonton. And I'm, I'm walking across the street. I, w- I was probably meeting the boys for a cold one at Elephant Castle. And I'm walking over to the rink to go watch the game. Lo and behold, Mike Richards is walking beside me as we cross St. Mary Avenue. And I'm like, here's the hockey legend. No, I, can I call him a legend? Maybe. Yeah, yeah you can call him a legend. Stanley Cup champion, Olympic gold. I guess he's a legend. So yeah. it's like, you know, M- Mike Richards is walking right beside me and no one's even <laughs> who. So it's like, hey, Mike, what's going on? He's like, oh, I'm just gonna, he- I'm just here, here seeing my uh, my buddy Lucic play. All right, Mike, catch you later. <laughs> <laughs> Check you later. <laughs> That's my Mike Richards story, number eighteen. I love it. I love it. Well, uh, it looks like Russ is here. We better, we better check in on. Okay. Hey, Russ. Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. No problem, guys. Great to be here. Thanks. I just have the the most obvious question to get us rolling here. How does a guy from California get into hockey? Is it the classic Wayne Gretzky goes to LA story? Or uh, how, what, what got you being a hockey fan in the first place? 
Yeah, I'm a little bit older. So for me, it was the Miracle on Ice. Uh, okay. I was really, really young, but I, I recall watching the Winter Olympics, the 1980 Lake Placid Winter Olympics. And, and that was the first time I'd really ever seen hockey. And I was just immediately just sort of seduced or captivated. Like the, it was the color and the speed and the violence. <laughs> and those three things together. I'd never seen anything like it. And yeah. I didn't really still understand much about the game but I, I knew I wanted to keep watching it. And so I, after that, you know, as I was getting older, I, I would, this was pre, pre Gretzky and pre San Jose Sharks. I, I live in Northern California. I live in Santa Cruz, which is about half hour from San Jose. Okay. And there was no team up here. There was a, there was a team in the Bay Area called the Golden Seals back then. Yeah, the before my California time. Golden Seals. Uh, yeah, so the, that, the, but they, were, they were gone. And so there was no team up here. And so it was tough to tough to get to games, and uh, but I would watch hockey whenever I could. After that, so when you got into it, was it m mainly as a as a fan or as a spectator, or did you want did you get into playing early as well? No, I didn't get into playing. Uh, I I just was a fan, and then I think I started playing when the Sharks got here, because suddenly there's you know there's interest and there's two new rinks right away popped up because there was like, there was three rinks in San Jose or two, but they were just so like busted. They were just like, had been around since the sixties and not really outfitted. Like the one the sharks had to practice in when they first showed up was, was really bad. And uh, wasn't, wasn't the stadium that the sharks played in when they first showed up because the, what's now the SAP center, I think it's called, it was the, the original stadium they played in was called Cow Palace or something, and it was like oh, an yeah. agricultural. Yeah. Uh, like they used to have livestock shows there. <laughs> I went, I, yeah, I, I went to games those first two seasons at the Cow <laughs> Palace. It was brutal because it was, it was, it was kind of a, it was in San, it was basically in San Francisco, so it's another like forty-five minutes to an hour away, and so it's pretty far for me, and and the way the way that it worked is it was it was off of a an exit off the freeway and then you'd have to kind of cruise around this this like neighborhood and then there was one road that led to the cow palace and so the, the parking would bottleneck to one road oh, and it was so like it was <laughs> i just remember especially the second season because the first season they won 25 games or something it was kind of they did better than they should have the mm. second season was brutal like they were they were awful and so it was just lots of long drives watching bad hockey and then sitting there wait, trying to get out after a loss, like you're with your friends and you're like trying to, normally you talk about the game, but it's like, what are you going to say? You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, Arch Zerbe was on yeah. fire tonight. <laughs> Petri Skriko sure had made a, had a good game tonight. Yeah. <laughs> so I have to ask Russ, because the, I think the very first draft pick ever for the San Jose Sharks was a Manitoba boy named Pat Falloon. Do you remember seeing him play at all? Oh yeah. 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 Well, was he, cause I remember him like, like he came from Western Manitoba, kind of a farm boy, but a sniper. I think he played for Spokane in the WHL. Yeah, yeah. And but I remember just such a a huge uh, like a lot of excitement around him getting drafted to the Sharks. So what was it like seeing that as a fan over there? Well, if I, if they had that draft to do over again, they probably would have drafted Scott Niedermeyer. But <laughs> but uh, hindsight's Falloon, twenty twenty, eh? Pat Falloon. <laughs> Uh, he was good that first season, 
Uh, he had, he had a, he he had a really good shot. The funny thing is, he played for Spokane, and and they, you know, the Sharks were the Sharks were scouting him heavily because he was a big prospect. And they ended up. This happens a lot when you're scouting you're scouting player A, and then one of his teammates, player B, you're like, oh, that guy's not bad either. And so they ended up getting Ray Whitney as kind of a throw in, like later on in that draft, who was Pat Falloon's line mate in Spokane. And oh yeah. Safe to say, Ray Whitney had a Ray Whitney had a much better career. Yeah, you've been on to play a lot of years. Yeah, yeah. Falloon was Falino. Falloon was he was okay, but they I mean they they didn't they didn't get a lot right those first couple drafts. I think Mike Rathke was a first round pick the next year out of Medicine Hat, and he didn't really have that good a career either. Um, Yeah, that draft year was it was Lindros one, Niedermeyer. No, Lindros one, Falloon two, Niedermeyer three. I think that's how that Hmm. went. (laughs) <laughs> New Jersey lucked out then that uh, Niedermeyer just uh, kind of fell right. probably pissing themselves that he like, Sharks didn't take him. <laughs> so t- tell us about how you how did you become a big Devils fan? Like where did that come from? Well, so later on, like uh, later in the eighties, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to watch hockey whenever I can, and so like ESPN would throw a few national games on a week, and I think it was the eighty seven eighty eight season. For some reason, uh, I would watch whatever game ESPN put on. And for some reason, the Devils were on a lot that year. And I didn't have a team. And I'm watching every game that's on. And it seems like the Devils are on all the time. And they had the green and red jerseys, which I thought yeah. kind of looked cool. And they had, they were like a scrappy team. Like they, they were tough and they had some, but they had some skill because that, that team had. Would have had Shanahan maybe? It was Shanahan, Kirk Muller, John McClain, Patrick yeah. Sundstrom. Uh, it had Mark Johnson, who played on the Miracle on Ice team. He was a sniper. Sean Burke was a was a rookie. He was their goalie, and he was like really, you know, big and tall and athletic. Yeah. And Jim Schoenfeld was their coach, and he oh, was yeah. he was screaming at the refs every game, like he was just giving it giving it to them. And they were fun to watch, you know. And they they had I found out later that they had never made the playoffs before. And so it's, it's, so I'm watching them. I'm kind of getting used to the names and the, you know, like getting familiar with them. And then the last game of the season, they're in Chicago. And if they win, they sneak in as an eight seed in the, in the Wales conference. So they're playing Chicago. They're trailing late. John McClain scores on Darren Pang to tie it. And then McClain scores again in overtime to win it. And so they sneak into the playoffs. Nice. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. And then they, they upset the Caps. They upset the Islanders, the first two series in the playoffs, both of which they were totally supposed to lose. And then they took Boston to seven games in the conference finals. And that was like the Don Koharski have another donut oh, yeah. uh, thing. And the refs didn't show up for, for one of the games. And they had like local beer league refs repping the, the yeah like in, in, in different uniforms or whatever too right like yeah they had like, they had like they had like yellow they had like yellow yeah. jerseys on yeah <laughs> wow i don't i don't know that story i'm gonna have you know to... you should check it out it's pretty yeah, it's, yeah it was so so Tonfeld didn't like the calls in one of the games and so after the after the game in the hallway he he corners don koharski and they get in a shouting match koharski was a referee yeah, and, and Seanfield called him a fat pig and told him to go have another donut. <laughs> There's footage so of that the, too. It's yeah, the re- yeah, and the referees. The, so the referees are like, "Well, this is this is lame. Like you can't you can't do that to us. You can't yell at us and like accost us like that." 
but back then there was vacant vacant leadership like john ziegler was supposed to be the commissioner but he was you know probably golfing or doing something else and so yeah the referees were like well the league's not gonna do anything we're not gonna we're not gonna come officiate the next game in the series so all the, <laughs> the referees didn't show up and so they had these they had these just local local like uh beer league refs come and do it and it was like <laughs> I remember it was just a it was a gong show like just oh like, could so you imagine fights. the box score of that game is just brutal like it, it, it was a uh... but by then I was hooked I was like okay this is these guys are this team's killer like I'm, I'm yeah like... some scrappy upstarts for sure yeah yeah well like, they, took just Boston, they, they their... took Boston to seven games in the conference final I mean the hockey they, DB they, they, there Ken yeah. Danica leading the way in penalty minutes with 283 that year but they had I think they had Troy Crowder was on, was in there too probably. Uh, had a probably had a few minutes. Yeah. So is that the year that uh, Boston would have lost to Edmonton in the finals? Yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. then the the Devils were just one game away from yeah from yeah. facing Edmonton. Oh yeah. And so like through the years, then they just became your team, and like you know you know like I they became my team that year. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and then like I from talking to Keebler, I know he's told me that I think is it one of your records that um, you have the Stanley Cup with. Uh, Niedermeyer like in the tray photo or something like that yeah Scott took a picture with good riddance shirt and hat holding the Stanley Cup up when they, when they won in yeah. 2000 yeah so like <laughs> what like how did how did that happen do you know him or is he a fan of the band or well it turns out it turns out I'll try to keep this brief so so like I'm a Devils fan and and then good riddance fans this is back before internet and stuff so like we had a P.O. box and good riddance fans would you know they would write us letters and and I would have, I would somehow gotten so Devils fans, Good Riddance fans who lived in New Jersey would go to the games for like free, you know, mug night and they would send me whatever the free thing was. <laughs> any any uh, Devils swag yeah, at all. Yeah, yeah, they would send, they would send it to me. That's and then awesome. one guy, one guy wrote a letter and he's like, hey, I went to this Meet the Devils thing at the mall. It's, you know, someplace in New Jersey. And, and, um, and Brian Ralston was there and he was wearing a Down by Law shirt. He's like, maybe some of these guys may like, may like punk rock. You should probably uh, send Brian Ralston some of your stuff. So I had fat records put together, a package of t-shirts, all our CDs up to that point, some stickers, sent it to Brian Ralston, care of the devils. And Brian Ralston never got back to me, but his, his uh, housemate at the time was Scott. And they were both like, you know, big into snowboarding and snowboarding videos. And there's a lot of punk music in the snowboarding videos. So like, I don't hear anything for a while. And then I got a package and it's from Scott and it's a signed devil's Jersey, Niedermeyer Jersey. No way. And a, and a, and a letter, you know, a really cool letter. Like, Hey, uh, you know, thanks for the music and all this kind of stuff. Cause I guess, you know, we're also probably open the package and they both checked it out. And then we, he and I just sort of connected and stayed in touch. And then I think in 2000, him and his wife came into our show. We were on tour with no use for a name and, and mad caddy's like a fat tour. We played in New Jersey, and him and his Scott and his wife came, and that's when I met in person. And we've we've been friends ever since. Um, we stay, stay we stayed in touch even just you know not that long ago. That's pretty rad. Uh, yeah. So do you do you make it a point to go to Devils games? Uh, like if you guys, you know, uh, were touring out on the East Coast, there, you know, you schedule your tour around the Devils. I've gone uh, to. I went to when they were still in the old building. Uh, Scott got me tickets. I, I went out to visit a, a friend of mine that lived in New Jersey and we went to a game and he, I went to his Jersey retirement game 
at the new at the new place. Yeah, uh, that was really cool. He see, I was I made it out there anyway just to go to New York City for like kind of vacation, and it turned out that his his thing was going to be at that time. And I was like, hey, I might be coming to that game. He's like, oh, cool. I'll get you. I'll leave you tickets. So he leaves me these tickets, which is what he normally would do at will call. And I'm figuring, oh, cool. I'll be you know somewhere in the lower bowl. That's awesome. And I and I get the tickets and I'm asking the usher like where do I go and they're like oh you got to go in these elevators and it turns out I was they basically had two suites combined for like friends and family and I got to go there. That's oh, amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah. So my very first time in the New Devils building was for that. I actually <laughs> that's the only time I've been there. Yeah. So and then obviously the Devils come and play the Sharks once a year. So I try I go every time that happens. For sure. So describe you know like for like longtime hockey fans like Tommy and I like you know so someone like you 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 were following the devils uh from like did you say it was like the the late 80s pretty much yeah, yeah. yeah. so then they you know they won three Stanley Cups in in the 90s and 2000s so f- for following the team like that for so many years and being a diehard like you man you must have been like beside yourself when they finally hoisted the cup there well the funny thing is, so in 95, we were on tour. It was, you know, obviously a summer. We toured every summer. And so, and there's no, there's no smartphones back then or internet. And so we're playing in Rock, Rockford, Illinois, I think. We were playing at some skate park. The night that I knew they could have clinched it. Because they, they swept Detroit. They were up three games to none. And, and all night long, I'm at, the, I'm at this place fucking asking everybody like is anybody What's know like yeah. yeah and no everybody's like dude what are you talking about like <laughs> and so so we play the show and then we go we sleep in our van because that's what we did back then like we pulled over and up like a rest thing and sleep in the van and i'm just laying there all night like going i can't sleep like what happened it's it it's so funny because nowadays you it just sounds crazy like you would yeah, just yeah. Ask You're just ask like, I gotta, I gotta yeah. get the early edition of the newspaper. So we, so we wake up, we go to Denny's, and I run to the fucking newspaper machine and get a newspaper out, and I saw that they won. So that's that's no how way. I found out the first time. The second time, <laughs> in 2000, we were in. So this is, this is these are so, these stories are so lame, but I'll tell you guys anyway. So it's 2000. Devils are playing the Flyers in the conference final. And it's it's three games to one, I think, for, for for the Flyers, and we're leaving for a tour to go to Europe. And so I'm just like, well, maybe next year, you know, down three one, Flyers are str- a strong team. And so I leave to go to tu- I go on tour, and so we're on this. It's called deconstruction tour. It's like it was like a kind of a festival tour through Europe, and uh, No Effects was on the tour. They were headlining. And their tour manager, Kent, who's also from Manitoba, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And so Kent is on the tour. And back then, like, if you were if you were really balling, your tour manager maybe had a laptop. Like, mm. so it, Kent had a laptop. Obviously, no one else had any smartphones, nothing. And so we a couple of days into the tour, Kent's like, hey, you're a Devils fan, right? I'm gonna go, I go, yeah. He's like, they want they won a game. Like, I thought they were getting eliminated, but they they're it's three two now. And like every couple of days he'd come up to me and be like, Yeah, they're they're back in it like and so i'm just thinking like no way because I, I had written it off i was like that they're done you know they're cooked and and then he comes up and he's like they won the series they came back and won and i'm like oh awesome and i remember i was i was in paris 
and I and I called Scott to wish him luck in the in the Stanley Cup Finals. They were playing Dallas, and then so like you know, Kent's still kind of telling me what's going on in the finals. It's kind of back and forth that series with Dallas, and then we were playing a festival in Germany, and I was just kind of wandering around, and Darren, Darren who plays drum played drums at that time for Goldfinger. He's a Sabres fan. But he, he comes up to me. I I'd sort of knew him a little bit. And uh, he just, he finds me. He's like, you're Russ from Good Riddance, right? I'm like, yeah. He's like, you're a Devils fan, right? And I go, yeah. He goes, they just won the cup. And then he walked away. And so like, I'm sitting in this German field and there's like, I'm like so stoked, but there's like nobody to tell. There's just nobody to lap. like, yeah, I'm just like, you know, so I'm just standing there going, Come, that's awesome. You know, but like, there's nobody to like celebrate with or like share it with or talk to you. It was like super surreal. <laughs> Like he just yeah. came up to me and told me and walked away. And um, so that's yeah, pretty that, cool. Yeah, that's a great story. So, <laughs> so going from touring, you know, Europe in in one of the like seminal punk bands of the '90s, right? Uh, how do you end up being a, a scout for the WHL's Tri City Americans? Like, how did how did that sort of you know well, journey so I, happen? Or like everybody that knows me for years is like was like dude, you know way too much about hockey. Like you should be working in hockey. Like, and, but like, I, you know, my, my beer league career is not going to translate to it. <laughs> so, so what am I going to do? And so I real I looked, there's this online course called sport, uh, sports management worldwide. Yeah. And they have it. They had a, they had a course for scout slash general manager for hockey. So I took that, it was eight weeks and it was pretty cool. Like, Lots of information. Uh, I got to read a copy of the CBA at that point. And we had, so we'd go through this eight-week cycle, lots of reading, lots of like reporting what we read, and then crit critiquing the other students that were going through in that cycle. It was all online. Yeah. And every Sunday, we'd have a chat. We'd all, we had like little headsets, and we'd get on with it. And we'd all chat with a, a real scout who worked for ISS. Uh, and... What's funny is that that scout was Dino Caputo, who's on staff with me and, and try. Hmm. But so at that time, you know, so we, we would all, we each of us got to ask a question, ask Dino a question. He would tell us, and it was super interesting. And he always told me that I had really good questions. And nice. he still gives so me a hard, he still gives me a hard time now. He's like, I remember when you were on that class. <laughs> but so, so, we, so I took, I took that course. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to, I was, I was just going to say, so pandemic notwithstanding, like how many, how many games a year are you watching? Like, uh, are you going out to see? So typically, because uh, I live in Northern California, and most of the tier hockey is in Southern California. Okay. So, so living here, so I, I mean, I, I scout for the Western Hockey League. So, so I'm watching Bantams mostly. So 14, yeah. 15. And yeah. so, so there's, in, in California, there's the Junior Sharks, Junior Ducks, Junior Kings. Those are the big three. Uh, there used to be a team, there used to be an organization called the LA Selects and they sort of like, they folded and their, their players dispersed to the Junior Ducks and Junior Kings. There's the Junior Gulls in San Diego who are double A, but they have, they've had good players like Thatcher Demko played for the Junior Gulls. Oh, really? Double A, Bantam. And, uh, he just signed a big Bantam. deal. Yeah, I just scouted, I scouted him when he was back then and um, so, and so I'll go to see the junior sharks because they're like, you know, 20 or 30 minutes away from me. And then I'll, I'll drive down to Southern California for like a weekend if there's a bunch of games and I'll drive from rink to rink 
or yeah. just tournaments, tournaments are the best. So like there's Pacific district, which is, you know, USA hockey divides up into districts. So California's in the Pacific district. So it's California, Oregon, Washington, Alaska. So the district championships and then the California state championships, I would go to every year, no matter what, get to see everybody. But normally I would try to go see all the teams at least four times. Because mm-hmm. I got I, I to not only identify players, but then I got to, I have to like tell their parents what the Western Hockey League is. Because right. all, all the people out, out here think that they're, that a D1 school is going to come give their kid a scholarship. And, and like, you know, for Thatcher Demko, that worked out. And for, for a couple kids, that works out. But for most kids, that just not, that's not reality. And so they, a lot of parents don't know anything about the Western Hockey League. Plus, USA Hockey is where most of the coaches come from are, is really centered on gearing players away from there. Like, I've, I've had to debunk so many, like, garbage stories that parents have heard about the about about uh, the chl and about the western hockey league mm-hmm. it's sort of sad but the U- usa hockey wants all the kids to go to like prep school and then to the ushl and then to college or the national team development program and so i got to educate pe- families and players on the western hockey league because like if my my head scout like they're not well, now it's different because there's a U.S. only draft. That's just like just happened last year. But normally it'd be like, okay, here's the Bantam draft. Hmm, should I, should I, should we draft this kid from California who fucking who knows if they'll ever come? Or should we draft this kid from, from Alberta who's wanted to play in the Western Hockey League since he was eight? Right, like, right, yeah. No, it's a no-brainer. Like it's a hard, it's a hard recruit. And, and a lot of parents will tell you a bunch of stuff and like, it's really, it's really proven to be tough, but that's, that's a lot part of my job is like, Hey, like if you, if your player, if your kid wants to be a pro hockey player, like this is the best way. And if it doesn't work out, Western hockey league will pay for pay for school. So it's, it's identifying players. And then it's a lot of just building that relationship with the family and try to like explain the, the advantages or the, not the advantages, but like the, the upside, like the option of the Western hockey league of playing major junior. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to bash college hockey or anything like that. Like everybody's got a different path, but, but, you know, if you want to be a pro, which most of our players in the Western hockey league end up being pro, maybe not NHL, but if you want to have a career playing hockey, Europe, minor league, whatever, like that's the best way to do it. You play 72 games as opposed to like 30 in college. You're on the ice every day. You're in front of NHL scouts every night. It's like, you're doing all this community outreach stuff that they don't really do in college. It's getting you ready to be a pro. It's getting you ready to the grind and the, and the off ice stuff and the, the public persona that you got to kind of carry yourself at with. And so uh, it's been, it's definitely been interesting. So how many years have you been a scout? I started, so I took that course and I, then I was like, well, now what do I do? So I, I talked to Scott and at that time he, he was part owner of the Kootenai Ice. And, and it was really good timing because right around then, like 2006, 2007, hockey in California had finally started to become like really good, like the youth hockey, like you guys mentioned the Wayne Gretzky effect. Like this is like the first generation of kids that were born like with hockey being a big deal in California. And so like kids who were athletic and whose parents had the money were, were a lot of them were choosing hockey. 
to be their main to be their main sport, which was never the case before. And these tier programs were 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 luring really high end coaches from the East Coast and from Canada. So like the coaching is the coaching is the big reason why I think the hockey got so good. So you got players, you got really good athletes choosing to play hockey, and you got really good coaches in these tier programs. And so a couple of players were players like were starting to trickle or find their way up to the Western Hockey League from California. Not a lot, but a few. And they were having success. And so it was a really, it was really good timing. So, so Scott talked to the, his GM in Kootenai and he's like, Hey, I got a buddy in California. Uh, I think he knows what he's talking about. Would you guys want to have, you know, a pair of eyes down there? And that's how it worked out. So it saved Kootenai didn't have to send anyone down. Like there's already someone down here. Uh, it got my foot in the door, got me the experience. So I'll always be grateful, uh, especially to Jeff Chanel, who was the GM at the time for giving me a shot. Um, it's pretty so that cool. was 2000, yeah, 2007. So I did that. Kootenai was tough because it, we were very, very Alberta, Saskatchewan centered. Yeah. Like not a lot of BC players, not a lot of Manitoba players, and no California players. And the, yeah. the couple of California players we did end up with were like not good. Like didn't make didn't make California players look good. Because a lot of the kids from here, not a lot, but like there are there are kids from here that that are entitled. And they show up and they're like too cool for everybody. And they, and they just think that they're like the best player in the world and they don't assimilate really well to the room. And we had a couple guys that just were kind of donkeys off the ice and, and uh, they're from California. So I would imagine it didn't really make it seem really attractive. So, but so I'm working, I'm doing it and I'm, and I'm, I'm loving doing it, but like we never draft any of my players mm. and it was just, and that's okay. Like, you know, when I was with him, we won, we won the Western Hockey League championship in 2011 with a 100%, 100% Canadian roster. So, but we, I was, I was kind of like, you know what, this is, I, I want to go somewhere where like someone might actually like want to draft some of these players from my area or, or else what am I doing this for? And so I, I got on with Tri-City because I would always see Bob Torrey, you know, our GM in Tri-City. I would always see him in California at the tournaments I went to. Like I got to know him and, and we, we liked a lot of the same players and Bob, Bob was really, you know, for hockey, for hockey person, Bob is really progressive. Bob's like forward thinking, like he's outside the box. And so it was a good fit. Uh, when I, when I was no longer with Kootenai to go with Tri-City. And so, and since then, you know, we've drafted several uh, guys from here, the guys that I, the guys that I scouted and identified and, um, so far, none of them have signed or suited up yet, but I'm, we're still hopeful. It's got to be a good feeling, though, to to have. One well, of the your first guys the first time get. we had one of my guys drafted was a great feeling, uh, and we offered that guy a contract, and they and he turned it down. <laughs> and uh, and I I mean, you're like, then, what are you then, doing he, to me? <laughs> well, well, not so much me, but like him, like this player. Like we offered him a contract at, as a 16 year old. And he ended up not signing and he ended up playing in the NAHL, which is like, and he, and he ended up playing there his draft year, his NHL draft year. Like no one's going to see him. It's right. brutal. Like I, he could have played playing in the Western hockey league. I, I, I just don't get it. You know, I think that some of these guys are getting 
bad information from their agents. I, I really don't know. But like my, my job is to identify the players and, and make as much of a, get them to commit to me as much as they can. Mm-hmm. And then tell my head scout, like I, I've had the talk, like I feel like they'll come. Um, that's all I can do, you know, that's yeah. all I can do. And now we got a couple of guys that we drafted in the, in the U S draft uh, the last time there was a draft who were hoping to like get signed either this year or next year. Right on Russ. It's, it's cool to hear that you're, you've taken your passion for hockey and you're, you're turning it into something more. So congrats on, on everything you've accomplished so far. The last thing that we want to kind of cover here is a little segment that we do on, on talking hockey and it's called wearing the pants. What the premise of the segment is, is uh, every week or whenever we do this segment, I get Tom to put on the pants of a NHL general manager or head coach. And I put him in their, in their shoes, if you will, and, and ask them what, what they would do or what he would do in, in, if he was in that situation. So, so this week, basically, we're going to get you wearing uh, Tom Fitzgerald's pants, uh, the GM of the New Jersey Devils. You know, how would you assess the team this season? And, and what do you think the team is, uh, needs needs going forward kind of thing? Currently, right now, I'd be pretty pretty stoked because as a Devils fan this year, seeing what, what, what they've got and what's coming, like everything looks positive to me. And so I, I, I knew as a fan, I knew this was probably not the year for playoffs. Mm-hmm. And that's okay, but I want to see promise. I want to see, I want to see like a game plan. I want to see some identity. I want to see like what, what's going to be coming. And so, you look at look at a player like Igor Sharangovich or a player like uh, Maltsev, and then Ty Smith has been on fire. You know, Ty Smith barely got barely missed making the team last year, and I remember thinking to myself like that sucks. Like he had a really good camp. Like, why did they, why did they send him back to junior? And it's like, they made the right decision. Right. Yeah. He's 20 years old. He showed up this year and he, he's been lighting it up and he's so fun to watch. Like he's, he's so mobile and smart and he's offensive minded, but he's, but he's a really good defensive player as well. Like he's, he's going to quarterback their power play, you know, for years. Like he's, he's the real deal. Ty Smith has been really fun to watch. And and then Jack Hughes, another year, like he's bigger and stronger. And he doesn't, right now, he's kind of snake bit. And the, and the goals aren't coming for him, but he has so many chances. And he's so smart when the puck's on his stick. Like he, he thinks like four or five steps ahead of everybody else. Like he's, like, give, in like two or three years, he's going to be an elite center in the NHL, Hughes is. And he, He's so smart and he's so creative and uh, he tries things. This reminds me of Sidney Crosby. Like I'm not saying Jack Hughes is going to be Sidney Crosby, but I'm saying Crosby, when he first showed up, I would watch him and I'd be like, he would do things in games that like guys would try and practice just messing around. and would never think of trying in a game. Yeah. And Crosby mm-hmm. would try to do it. Yeah. You see Crosby. Hughes, Hughes is the same way. And, and if once he, once he keeps going and realizes like, okay, I, I, I don't have as much time and space as I had with the national team here in the NHL. I got to make my decisions quicker, but he's, he's confident with a puck and he's smart and he's creative and he does things that you like would never see coming. Like, how did he see that guy open there? Like, how did you make, how did he sauce that pass through three guys 
to a person that he couldn't even see was open by the net. Like it's just really fun to watch him with a puck on his stick. And I think it's only going to get better, but right. I mean, right now it's, he's snake bit. And if you, if you, if you make the mistake of going on devil's fan forums, like everybody thinks he's a bust, but <laughs> I, I don't think he's a bust. Like, I think, I think he's going to be maybe one of the best centers they've ever had. Yeah. And so it's, it's fun to watch him and it's fun to watch these, these young players. And I think Mackenzie Blackwood is, is, is a legit, legit yeah. top, top end NHL goaltender. Like he, Fully. did you guys see the save he made on the, against the Bruins? Yeah. last weekend or yeah that, i mean the, the kick save there yeah he yeah. He, just, he he does his job and then some you know because they because they're young they give up tons of shots they give up tons of chances yeah. that they shouldn't uh they don't have the structure that like maybe some devil's teams in the past did and so blackwood's you know he's seen like 40 shots a night and he's just yeah. he's playing so great and it's fun to watch him and he, i think he's going to be coming into his own as one of the top goalies in the NHL so yeah I think to me Blackwood's like the team Canada goalie of the future should we ever have an Olympics or something like that you know, I think he's, he's definitely, definitely he's definitely one he's definitely in going. the conversation yeah anyway. he's definitely they'd, they'd be stupid not to take him yeah uh, and so if I'm the GM I, I'm thinking this is coming together really really well now granted some of these guys are are Ray Shiro's picks yeah uh, but we haven't I even think, mentioned Nico Hershier the yeah, well, he's, newly he's minted captain. I guess he's been guy. Like, yeah, he got a he, he got a fractured orbital something from a yeah. blocking a puck. But he, I mean, he's he's a great player. I love I like Kyle I like Kyle Palmieri. He's had kind of a down year, mm-hmm. and, and I definitely understand that the that he's likely going to get traded. But other than that, I mean, these guys are PK Subban's doing okay, mm-hmm. like better than last year. And uh, it's kind of fun to see Travis Zajac. He's a Manitoba guy. It's mm-hmm. kind of fun to see Travis Zajac. Just hit a thousand having, games having, this year. He's having a good season too. Like he's chipping in and he's getting, he's playing with some younger guys. He's probably having a blast, I yeah. bet. And so the few veterans they have are, are playing great and doing their jobs. And then it's just, it's just a lot of really exciting young players. Uh, Tice Thompson got in the game today for the first time from Providence College and, uh, he had an assist his first shift and i just think nice. that the, the players that they've they've drafted uh i think and some of the signings that they've made are are all spot on and i especially think that that uh ty smith is going to be just a he's he's going to be a player like that kid's going to be great right on thanks russ one last thing that we we uh tend to try and add to every every episode is we've got an ongoing talk and hockey playlist where we have as many songs that are about hockey or reference hockey, or there's some sort of hockey connection. Sometimes um, it's just like a locker room jam or uh, whatever, something you might hear at the rink or, or even does good riddance have any hockey uh, references in, in any of the songs or. We have a, a sample from Slapshot on our, on our EP. <laughs> the Dave's a killer. Dave's a mess. That, <laughs> that whole thing. Classic. My band tolerates the hockey stuff. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, our bass player married a girl from Montreal, and so he he actually you could he could talk Habs and kind of hold his own. Oh yeah. He, he watches games. They have the they have the hockey package, and he kind of knows what's going on. And and probably so, has to with the in laws, right? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he's he's married into it, um, being a Habs fan, and so. But our, my our guitar player and drummer could give 
probably give a fuck about hockey. <laughs> <laughs> well, right on for us. Uh, you know, th- thanks again for taking the time. It was great to hear not only, uh, you know, your connection to the devils, but also like getting a sneak peek in, uh, into the scouting world. And I think Tommy and I might send you an email with some clips and maybe we got a shot at making the dub one day or what do you think? <laughs> yeah. How old are you guys? That's, that's the... I might've aged out. Yeah. I, yeah. I think, yeah. I think you guys are, would be like, if there's an over, over age, I think. Uh... Well, you were saying, uh, you know, you play beer league and you're a skill. One of my favorite chirps for beer league is uh, when guys are, maybe trying a little too hard is the old uh you know take it easy there's no scouts in the building kind of thing yeah, yeah. but i guess if you're there then that trip might not work exactly right so yeah yeah we appreciate you coming on the show and get the take from california so yeah that was awesome <laughs> all right guys thank you so much and that was our interview with ross rankin such a, a good time there thanks for joining us and the last thing we want to do on today's program is we want we just want to look into our crystal ball for the trade deadline in the nhl which is coming up next week uh or by the time you listen to this it may have already happened uh i believe the trade deadline randy is it is it the 12th which is monday yeah, so this episode will come out before the trade deadline. Yeah, just before the trade deadline, but you but, may not listen to it until true, after true. the trade, de- trade deadline. But but by the time we reflect on what our crystal ball says yeah. on our next episode, we will actually see what has prevailed. Exactly. Now let's start with your hometown Winnipeg Jets, Randall. Who do you think – okay, do you think that they're going to uh, make a move here before the trade deadline? And and what, what are they looking to to grab? Everybody's kind of saying they need a D man. Okay. So funny story. So I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm scrolling through this little website called cap friendly, which is Mm -hmm. a great website. Actually, if you want to check teams, um, salary cap structures and, you know, cap space and all that fun stuff. Who's a UFA, who's an RFA, all that fun stuff. So here I am like two, three weeks ago, maybe just maybe exactly in sync with Chevy. Maybe he's doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm like, you know who the Jets should go after? They should go after Eric Stahl. You gotta you should you should bring in like someone like a vet that's that's you know been there and he's he's been, you know, to to the depths of hell and back and he's yeah. got that leadership and another centerman or a forward that you could put anywhere and like that leadership and who would just help. But then what happens, you know, the Jets, um, familiar foes, the Montreal Canadiens go and grab them. So then I'm, I'm sc- scrolling, th- scrolling through cap friendly. And I'm also seeing, you know, who the Jets should maybe go after a guy like Mr. Zajac from the New <laughs> Devils, but hometown boy, low, yeah. Hometown boy, maybe gets a shot at the cup with his hometown team, but lo and behold, what, two days ago, he gets traded to the New York Islanders and looks like he's going to get on a you know, on a team that's going to make a decent push. So now, that's right. And and when we were talking to Russ, this trade had not yet happened. So he was, you know, looking into his crystal ball, he kind of maybe saw that it was going to happen. So clearly I'm on the same wavelength as NHL GMs because yeah. they made the moves that I wanted to make. Yeah. yeah. Um, so now directly re- related to the Winnipeg Jets. Um, yeah. 
they they need to add like this is this is an arms race and they need to add guys um sure they've got a great team they're performing well right now but if you, you want to get past toronto essentially yeah, well, any, any, anybody but really anybody, but yeah you have to all you know thinking about like potentially playing boston or colorado or vegas or or Minnesota. carolina carolina or tampa bay mm-hmm. like right now how do you think the jets would stack up against those those teams exactly it's tough to say so yeah like in my opinion i think the jets need to add a forward that is maybe like a middle six forward that could push someone down into the fourth line or that that guy would play on the fourth line and make the fourth line even better and yes add a defenseman that is maybe a, a middle maybe like a three four or whatever that then pushes someone down and then um you know this adds more depth in the middle because i don't think that they're going to get a top pairing d-man and they're not yeah, going to everything get- everything i'm reading right now in the rumor mill is suggesting that there's not really any top defensemen available on the trade market and, and especially that- with aaron ekblad going down to injury the the panthers are also looking to add in that position so mm-hmm. right now it's like the depth or the d-men that are available for trade are kind of what you would call depth defensemen and do the jets really need another depth defenseman? Because if you look at their sort of system and their taxi squad and whatever else, they kind of have the depth D covered. Maybe I think like if they could add someone like Forbert or better, you know, and then, then you bump guys down and then like, you've got that middle buffer zone of like those kind of guys. Yeah. Um, Cause also like, Ekholm is now apparently off the market because of Nashville just putting up together like a crazy string of wins. Yeah, all of a now, sudden now Nashville's looking mix. good, right? Yeah. yeah. But that, like for me, it's like it's and you saw it last year in the bubble, like when when the Jets lost Shifley, Line, and Appleton, you quickly saw how how the depth just disappeared. So totally, it doesn't lo- hurt to have reinforcements. Yeah, you're you're sure. not looking to like make a big splash, but it's like. Okay, now with Blake Wheeler out, um, you know we we might see like what the depth is really like. You spoke of one stall, Eric, going to Montreal. What about another stall, Mark, also a number eighteen, I might add, who plays for the Detroit Red Wings. Now, like maybe maybe Stevie Y over there GMing Detroit, he says, you know, I want to keep stall around as a veteran presence for my young guys coming up, and I want I want to have this guy around. Or maybe he decides, maybe, like, what if the Jets go out, like, a, a name that's not in the rumor mills, like a Mark Stahl or whatever, that that you could bring in as a, a veteran D-man for depth and whatever. Like, you know, he's the kind of guy, he's not a top-pairing guy anymore, but you could slot him in in that second or third pairing and probably do quite all right. And then that would bump down people and, you know, it just makes your D better, but, like, I'm not saying that uh, Mark Stahl's the guy, but like, you know, is, is, you know, like maybe there's a under the radar move that nobody's mm-hmm. going to really see coming. Um, cause, cause when you look at the D names who are out there, you got your Brandon Montour people have talked about, you've got your Josh Manson in, uh, in Anaheim that people have talked about. So there's names that are out there, but like, I, I just don't know that, what you hear in the rumor mill always it, it seems to never really happen except yeah, so, for the Dubois for line a trade that actually happened <laughs> a, a, a quick like rundown of like some of the top um ufas that could be rentals for the jets or yeah. for anybody at this point 
Edler, yeah. Edler, Niskanen, Mark Stahl, Alex Goligoski, Nicholas Chalmerson, Ryan Murray, Jason Demers, Brendan Smith, David Savard is another guy that's been mentioned. Yeah, Savard's been really talked about. And you know Chalmerson, man, like there's a guy like I'd love that guy. I'd love to have him on your team. Uh, but yeah, I guess some of these guys do have no moves. Yeah, so Chalmerson's got a no move clause. Um and so does Mark Stahl. Yeah. So that's but where it gets he, complicated for yeah. sure. You'd have to think though, if some guys feel that they're gonna get a decent shot at going for the cup, then I well if you got a good play. Yeah, if you're on a team like Detroit and then you're like gonna be an unrestricted free agent at the at the end of the year and you know a playoff team wants you why wouldn't you waive your no trade you know what i mean like go play in the playoffs in the off season if you really want to resign with detroit or whoever that team is we'll go for it you know yeah so Uh, before i throw it over to you basically my call is like the jets should add a forward and a defenseman that are like middle lineup guys they don't need not top line not fourth line but like middle just so they can bump guys down um and that being said i i i would like i would say that the the first the first round pick for this 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 year's draft should be on the table because this is the season to go to the stanley cup because if you can win the north division you're in the semifinals you're Mm -hmm. in the you're in the conference finals so go for it Put yeah. all, all chips on the table. Go for it. Yeah. All chips minus Hanola yeah. and Perfetti. No. Yeah. In my opinion. <laughs> Every, everybody else is on the table. Any yeah. any prospect um and and the first round pick, I would say go for it. Because yeah, yeah go for it. This yeah. is the year. Why not? Do it. Why not? If the Jets yeah. could win the cup the year that there was the, the all Canadian division, you know, like what that is for bragging rights? Like you could we could throw that in Toronto's face forever, which would be, you know, fantastic. <laughs> so what do you what do you, what do you think as far as like um is, uh, is there going to be a well so that's what I feel is going to happen. What I think is going to happen is probably one of those moves. Right. Well, how about how about yeah? You? Well, crystal ball wise, if we're talking Winnipeg Jets, I can see them bringing in some sort of defenseman. I don't know that there will be another ad up front for the forward group uh but you never know but i i i could see now uh local legend uh weebs world ken weeb i heard him talking about he thinks that hanola is gonna get a look before the end of the year and could end up being a regular roster player by the end of the year and to me i'm like well like why has why hasn't he already uh but you know, that's a whole nother topic, but I, so like, I think though, if you put in a guy like Hainola, who are you taking out either DeMello or Poolman probably. Right. And then if you're bringing in another defenseman to play, then, then you're taking out the other one of DeMello or Poolman, I would say. Um, so you got to bring in somebody that's better than one of them. And I've actually thought that Tucker Poolman's game has been pretty decent lately. I've I've loved his game lately. He's yeah, I'm, I'm, I love that kid. I think you might say I'm pro Tucker. Um, uh, and and I was notoriously anti Demello for quite a while. That said, the last couple of weeks here, like I have no problems with his game. Like 
he's kind of just settled in and is playing a very simple game. You don't, you're not going to get any offense from Dylan DeMello and that's fine, but you, you know, you're going to get a relatively solid game from him. So I don't know like who the names are necessarily that would be better than him, but let's say that the jets do go after uh, David Savard from Columbus and make it a two for deal, like on the season, double dip Columbus with the trades, you know, um, we already, we already went there for Peter Luke of the woods. Hey, let's double dip Columbus and go get Savard. Uh, what would they want in return? I don't know. A Sammy Niku, a Dylan Sandberg, whatever. If you can get Savard for Sandberg plus a draft pick, I'd do it. You know, everybody's talking about, um, Samberg and how he's going to be a really good player and I don't doubt that but the fact of the matter is if you get Savard right now it helps you on a playoff run you win a couple rounds you know I'm into that uh why not right so the trick is though that Savard is a UFA and it's like do you want to sell the farm for a guy for a rental because you have no guarantee that he's resigning uh, with the team that trades for him. And if that team is Winnipeg, you know, w- you, there's no guarantee. So apparently uh, the, go- the going rate, say, for instance, if you wanted to like uh, in relation to Taylor Hall, apparently what Buffalo is asking for Taylor Hall is the first round pick and a like a worthwhile prospect. Right. So if that's Taylor Hall's price then you'd think if the Jets are floating around their first-round pick to pretty much any team that's probably not going to make the playoffs this year because then they'll get two decent – they'll get two first-round picks in the draft this summer. Um, then, like, you know, make, like, I wonder if you float that first round to New Jersey, what what c- could that get you – well, yeah, what could you what, what could I get? Well, what you? about PK Subban on New Jersey? Let's just say that the Devils retain some of his salary – uh, I don't know how many years he's got left on that massive nine million dollar deal he's got, but it's but more like than a if, couple for sure. Is it okay? Like I was gonna say, if it's only one or two years or something, maybe the Devils retain a little it's bit two, of his salary. It's two years and nine nine mil per season. So so this year and next year. Yeah. So let's just say the Devils retain half or whatever of his salary. The Jets give the Devils first round draft pick or two two picks or whatever i don't know and or a first round and a prospect whatever the deal is i'd take pk suban on my blue line right like he's not oh. going to be your number one or two guy in winnipeg but he could be a three four i'll picture him on the jets power sure. play though too like i think he. Would well be we've been than... talking about that power play and what what are they missing they're missing a big shot from the yeah, top what does pk suban have he's got a big shot from the top yeah you know, so, so do you, you can shelter his minutes and, and he won't get stuck out there in defensive situations that he's been exposed in the last couple of years. Like, but I mean, he's still got game. Like, I don't know. He's yeah. Yeah. I know he, he's a bit of a love hate guy for some fans, but uh, I, I would take PK if the price was right. And the devils were willing to part with him. I don't know. So we're running out of time here. Do you think the jets are going to make, let, let's, let's put our predictions out right now. Crystal ball. Yeah. Yeah. Are you going to, when by the time we talk next week, it have have the Jets made a trade? Yes or no? 
and how many trades? I'll say yes and one trade. Okay, I'm going to say no trades. Okay. Just to right. just to be completely different. Yeah, well, that wouldn't be unlike Chevy to bet on his own, right? Yeah. So Okay, so let's put something on this. <laughs> Whoever's closest. So if if it's a trade and there if it's yes and there's um if say more than one trade say let's say yeah, we have like to get price is right rules no we gotta we gotta nail it so if we're both wrong no one wins okay so right. if there if there's one trade ne- by next week i'll buy you a beer of your choice okay and then vice versa so if there's no trades then i get a beer of my choice okay sounds okay. good and maybe uh on that note it'll be at our future episode recorded with your fancy new portable mics uh, down at the yeah. historic forks or something. We could actually like that. have that beer on the episode. Yeah, we could record an episode in person, perhaps outdoors, uh, which we haven't recorded an in-person episode in in like a year, basically. Probably so, more. Yeah, probably a little more than a year. I, yeah. I think like, well, early February, late or sorry, late February, early March of last year was the last time we recorded in person. Back in the old uh, talking hockey bunker, which it might have been the episode with been... Matt, Matt Nightingale or somewhere, one of those ones back then. Yeah, yeah. Matter. Anyways, but we're we're out of time. Check so, the uh, archives, folks. Yeah. Hit the link in our bio, talking hockey, uh, at talking hockey podcast on Instagram. Click the link in the bio for various ways to listen, follow, like, share, etc. Leave a review on either Spotify or Apple because uh, I guess that really helps the metrics. And you know we're all about the metrics here on Talking Hockey. So hey, you got to do what you got to do. Got to support the team, right? So uh, this is taking us out here. This is a song by Good Riddance, R- frontman Russ Rankin, telling you what's what. This is a song called Cages. Check the intro. It's a little sample from Slapshot, everyone's favorite hockey movie, the best hockey movie of all time. Dave's a killer, man. Here's Cages by Good Riddance. Now keep your stick on the ice and join us next week. We were all there. We all saw it with our own eyes. Damn lard ass. Barkley Donaldson, I'm telling you, he jumped us. Sure did, huh? I mean, gloves off, stick down, no warning. He challenged the Chiefs. Call us names. Call us names! But Dave was there. Dave's a killer! Yeah, yeah. yeah! Dave's a killer. He's a mess. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, but Dave's out. Who's gonna take his place? Is the answer Jesus? Okay, guys. Show us what you got. Mm-hmm.